So you're in an awesome series through the book of Luke, from what I understand. Um, and today, um, I'm just going to pick up where, you're, where you left off last week, I think, and, and, and jump into a passage that um, I think to me has got to be one of the most helpful passages if you are exploring, you know, following Jesus, just kind of checking that whole thing out. Um, or if you've got some friends who are, um, or, you know, like if, like myself, you've been following Jesus for a while. These are like good things to circle back to and, 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 and remember what this is really all about. So I'm just going to start reading um, from Luke uh, chapter 9, picking up in verse 57. And so uh, it says this, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Man, that is a brutal passage that I was given um, as my first passage to, to talk to you about. Um, I would say this qualifies as... Um, it's kind of the kind of fine print of uh, Christianity. You know, it's like um, if you have those like infomercials in Australia, you know, they're trying to sell you something that you don't need. It's, you know, kind of a, a piece of junk, you know, like at the very bottom, there'll be this little tiny print that's scrolling really fast. You know, they don't want you to read it because that, that's the really, that's the, that's all the, that's all the stuff they don't want you to see. This kind of feels like that. It feels like the fine print. Um, and I just want to start by saying what's not happening here because um, I, I don't know, you know, who's in the room. And, and sometimes, you know, um, we, we end up, you know, misinterpreting what we're hearing and it sets us off on like a course. And so just really quickly, what's not happening, um, you know, three different guys engage with Jesus here around following him, the consideration of, of being a disciple. Um, and they bring up, you know, wh why they why they, they can't do it right away. And Jesus's response, we, we shouldn't read it to, to think that um, Jesus is being unkind. Um or unsympathetic or uncompassionate like that like it misses the whole heart of who jesus is and like if you open pointed to this passage of the bible and this is the only thing you've ever read about jesus you might be tempted to get the wrong impression that jesus doesn't care about our family doesn't care about our dead you know dad he doesn't care about our friends he doesn't care about um you know that that's that's just that's the that's that's anti everything about jesus um and so you know again not knowing who's hearing this i i I get nervous just reading that little passage because it's so intense that it can it can lead you um, on a road that you know um, away from really the, the true nature and character of Jesus. So um, anyway, that that's just sort of a by the way um, is that th this you shouldn't take this passage in isolation. However, this passage can be really helpful. Um, and and here, here's what I think is going on here. He's not you know being unsympathetic or uncompassionate, but I think what he's defining here is what he's after. Um, and and that, that simply is that Jesus wants followers, not fans. Um, he, he wants followers, not fans. The word follow comes up three times here. Um, each, each of these individuals, the, the conversation is around whether or not they're going to follow him. And that word follow, it meant to, um, it didn't mean to like, you know, kind of associate yourself. It wasn't like, you know, like on Facebook where you can like a page um, and it sort of like falls into some, you know, profile thing. Like here's music I like, and here's things I'm associated with. And, oh, and I like Jesus. Like that, that's not what that word meant. The word follow, it meant to cleave steadfastly and to conform wholly. 
Um, that's what that's what Jesus was after. He was after people who wanted to cleave, who were willing to cleave steadfastly to him and conform wholly to him. Um, and that, that's a tall ask, but that, that's 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 what he was after. Um, and um, and Jesus is not hiding how hard it's going to be. In fact, he he magnifies the fine print. Um, if Jesus was, um, let's just put it this way: I think Jesus would be really bad at selling essential oils, right? Uh, he would not be the guy you would pick for multi-level marketing. Um, he's he's going to be the guy who tells you all the stuff that you're not supposed to tell people if you want to sell something to him. Um, and, and, and I really respect that about Jesus. I respect that um, he didn't hide the hard stuff. He, he put it front and center. And he made people stop and think about it. And, and he drew their attention to things that, that wasn't on their radar, you know, Um Jesus didn't want a bunch of people who kind of liked him. <laughs> he wanted people who left everything to follow him. And we see this pop up all through the Gospels, Matthew 10, 38. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Um, Matthew 16, 24, if anyone would come after me, let him deny his, his himself and take up his cross and follow me. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer is famous for saying, you know, when Christ when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Um so, so that's what's going on here in, in these three interactions is these are three people who are considering following Jesus, and Jesus is, is defining for them what that really means, what that looks like. He's not after fans. He wants followers. He wants people who are going to cleave steadfastly to him, who are going to conform wholly to him. Um, so what's the point for us? I mean, why do we have this passage here? Um, I think it's really interesting, and this comes up in like the commentators too, that we don't know how these guys responded. That is like really interesting. When I mean, you think about it, you know how Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Peter and Daniel, you know how all these other guys responded. You know, uh, you, you know how Zacchaeus responded and you know how Nicodemus responded. We know how so many people responded to tough like interactions like this. We don't have a clue how these guys responded. It, it, it's, 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 it's not like these three people are crucial to some upcoming narrative. Like they pretty much, we don't know who they are. And for all they know, they kind of disappear from the story. Um, and so it, it, I think that like that itself sort of draws you in. Like, why do we have this? You know, um, I mean, it's helpful to, you know, all the information we can get of how Jesus interacted with people is really helpful to have. But like, is there anything more to it than that? You know, um, and I think there is. I think there's a further purpose for us. And I think I think that further purpose would be kind of personal inquiry. Um these interactions are here to help us do self-reflection for ourselves. Like we don't need this information to know something else that's coming later in the story. What we need these to do is to help us do reflection for ourselves. This isn't there for us to think about other people that, oh, we're glad she's here. I'm glad he's he listening to this this morning. I wish so-and-so was here. But this is about us doing self-reflection. That's really outside of just, you know, getting to see an, another interaction Jesus had with people. That's really the point of this passage. Um, it's not what they did, how they responded. We don't know. It's, it's, it's really about what you're going to do. That's the whole purpose of this passage is what are you going to do with these kinds of things? You know, um, Jesus is saying, come, come follow me. And, and, and so um, in that, he's, he's, he's not just talking to them. He's talking to us. Um, and so this, this idea of following, this idea of cleaving steadfastly, conforming holy, let's kind of look at at, you know, at the passage, what do we see from, from that? How do we, what do we learn from it? I think the, the you know, it's, it's important just to say, cause you know, 
we get so used to saying things like following Jesus and being a Christian or singing things like that, you know, if you go to church or whatever, that those things can kind of lose their meaning. Um, I think it just, it, it's, it's good to just pause and reflect on, you know, to follow Jesus, it just necessarily means you have to stop following other things. Um, th there's an exclusivity here. And so um, th this is not just adding Jesus onto things. It's actually subtracting everything else. Um, and, and as we'll look and see here in a minute, it, a lot of those things that we have to subtract uh, to follow Jesus are things that really feel important to us. Um, so, it, I mean, I, I think for probably all of us, well, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, it feels like it's getting harder uh, to be a follower of Jesus. It certainly feels like that in America. Man, we are nuts over here. Um, and I agree with probably all your opinions about how crazy it is uh, in America right now. Um, but um, I think it's, it's probably hard to to really follow Jesus in any culture at any time, you know? Um, so so let's just kind of look at what, what we see, you know, in, in this. And, and the first thing I want to say is I want to kind of jump over to another another couple of verses in, in a, a letter uh, that a guy named Paul writes to Timothy, um, because I think that we'll best understand these things that Jesus says to these three individuals in Luke if we have a bit of a frame of reference um, for, for uh, what it looks like to follow Jesus outside of kind of just going to church and, and going through the motions. Um, and, and that's this, that following Jesus is like enlisting as a soldier. Now, I want to just hit pause um, because I, I don't know how aware you are, but I'm, I'm really aware that there's like a toxic masculinity, especially that's come out of America, um, that has really corrupted a, a lot of people and a lot of things. Um, and this is not me going down some rah-rah speech about Jesus was the cage fighter and all that. that that's not what I'm doing. Um, but I, I, I do think that it, this is like a necessary thing to consider because I think I'll, I'll read the passage and I think it'll help the, the, the Luke passage that we're looking at make a lot more sense. Um, so in, in 2 Timothy 2, verse 3, um, Paul says this to Timothy. He says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So, yeah, this is not Christianity as life enhancement. Um, Paul says, you're, you're a good soldier, so you're going to suffer, and you're not going to get entangled in civilian pursuits, and you're going to aim to please the one who enlisted you. So in light of that, let's look at these three interactions that show, um, I think shows three kind of major um, reasons why people don't follow Jesus um, or don't follow Jesus wholeheartedly. Um, so the first one we saw there in verse 57 and 58, you know, I'll follow you wherever you go. You know, I'll do, I'll go wherever. And Jesus responds, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. What's this about? Well, I think this is about how um, Jesus wants to see to follow him. You have to give up the certainty of comfort. Uh, to follow Jesus, you have to give up the certainty of comfort. Um this is that second Timothy, this is that share and suffering bit, right? Um, the guy starts off saying, I'll go wherever, which sounds awesome, right? Um, I'll go wherever. It sounds uh, like no strings attached. But, but we find out there really were some strings attached. You know, now I'll, I want to stop and say, I think if you're someone who says to Jesus, I'll go wherever, I think that's a really good thing. That's a beautiful thing. Um, we had a few years ago, we did a survey at One Harbor the church I lead. And we, um, one of the questions on the survey was just, I thought it was like an easy one. It was, Hey, would you, you know, Jesus asked you to move somewhere or go somewhere. Would you do it? And it was like, I mean, I don't want to exaggerate. I think it was like 8% of 
of the members in the church said yes. It was shocking. And I was so disheartened by that. Um, I mean, Tom was too, Mark and Mark's dad. We were just really just so sad by that. I mean, we are two people who left, like we left where we lived and where we loved and people we loved, you know, and places we loved to go and be part of this church. And, and, and you know, it was just shocking to, to kind of hear that. So I think if you're someone who is saying, I would go wherever, I think it's a good thing. I'm not trying to, to say it's a bad thing. But I think what we find out here is what sounded like there were no strings attached. There actually were strings. Um, it turns out that wherever did not mean however to this guy. He, he didn't say, I'll go wherever and, and, and no matter what it takes, however it is, I'll go. He just said, I'll go wherever. Um, it, it sounds like the, the thought of discomfort um, is what caused him to reconsider. You know, it's like it's like someone telling you they want to go camping with you, but you got to have like a big RV trailer with air condition and a king size bed and a refrigerator. And like, that's, that's not camping. Like if there's not a chance that snakes and scorpions and whatever bears are going to kill you, you're not camping like that. That's, that's not what this is. So this guy's like, he's got this, like, I'll go wherever, but actually like he, he just kind of sounds like he's onto some kind of spiritual tourism. You know, he just wants to go to exciting places with Jesus. As long as it's really comfortable, he's, he's in, you know, as long as we can ride first class, I'm down, you know? Um, and so Jesus, Jesus pushes back on that. And so that's just not how it works for me. Um, animals actually have it better than me, uh, which is a crazy thing to say. And I think it's one of the tragedies in a lot of modern day Christianity is we've not done a good enough job telling people how hard it's going to be to follow Jesus. Um, I'm part of a, a like a church planning movement called Advance, and we got that name from Philippians one, where Paul says, "What's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel." And it sounded really great. And then recently, I went back and looked that up, and it turns out that that phrase to advance the gospel, to advance, it means um, to um, to make progress in spite of many blows. And I was like, man, we picked the wrong name for this movement. Like apparently. Apparently, what Paul is saying, oh, by the way, writing from prison, so that would have been a good context clue for us to have we done some work um, there, but he, he's saying, hey, look, yeah, the gospel is going forward. In fact, the whole prison I'm in has, has heard about Jesus, but, you know, it's been a beatdown, literally. And I, I think we just do a disservice to people when we don't, when we don't say, hey, this is actually going to be hard. It's actually going to be uncomfortable. Um and we just don't see that in Jesus or in the New Testament. I mean, Second Corinthians 1, Paul says, we do not want you to be unaware, brothers. We're not hiding any fine print. This is not a, this is not a, uh, you know, um, one of his timeshare presentations. We don't want you to be unaware of the affliction we experienced. We were utterly burdened beyond our strength. We despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. So um, again, this goes back to that, this, that soldier thing. I was in uh, Normandy, France last week, which is where um, the all the you know beach landings were um, back in World War II. And so I got to visit um, Utah Beach and Omaha Beach, and you know and it was unreal. I mean, all the movies I've seen did not even didn't didn't remotely prepare me for what it was like in real life. And to see you know to be at the the um, the cemetery there in, in Omaha Beach. Where there's tens of thousands of crosses, um, it's just it's overwhelming, and I think that you know we do well to remember this is the context Scripture gives us is that 
we're going to suffer like soldiers. Um, J.C. Ryle, uh, thinking about this passage, actually says this, um, this passage in Luke, he says, many a man begins a religious life full of warmth and zeal, and by and by loses all his first love and turns back. He liked the new uniform and the bounty money and the name of a Christian soldier, but he never considered the watching, warring, wounds, and conflicts which Christian soldiers must endure. So that's point number one. It's tough. It's um, to follow Jesus. It's gonna. Um, it's gonna. It's gonna mean we have to give up the certainty of comfort. Um, the second person uh, said, Jesus actually engages this person. Says, "Follow me," and he says, "Well, yeah, that's great, but let me first go and bury my dad." And he said, "Let the dead bury their own dead. As for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God." Now, I'll just be honest with you. This is the one out of the three that sounds the harshest to me. Um, but it's here. So let's deal with it. I think what, what's going on here is to follow Jesus, you have to give up your priorities. So you have to give up, um, you have to give up uh, the certainty of comfort and you have to give up your priorities. Uh, this might be those kind of civilian pursuits that Paul was talking to Timothy about um, to be a good soldier. You can't get involved in. Uh, so the, the man was willing to follow Jesus, but um, it was on his own timeline. And that's really what's going on here. He says, look, I'm happy to do it, but I've got something that comes first. I've got a priority here. Uh, and the priority is first, let me go bury my dad. Uh, there's a debate on whether or not this was like, whether his dad was actually dead and there was an imminent sort of funeral or whether his dad was near death, like old kind of, you know, getting close to the age where he might die. You know, th there's like this whole debate. And I think a lot of times what we do is go down the road, us preachers, we go down the road of, oh, yeah, you know, his dad was like kind of near death and Jesus was like, hey, that's probably going to take forever. And and I don't I don't think it really matters whether his dad was already dead or about to die. I mean, we don't know. So I don't think it really matters. I don't I don't think it changes anything. I don't think if the guy's dad was already dead or, or might die soon, it, I don't think it, 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 it doesn't really adjust anything from Jesus' standpoint. Um, he just says, hey, you don't get to put stuff in front of me. You don't get to put stuff in front of the kingdom. Um, he's calling him to get his priorities straight. Um, and again, this just this, this only I think this really makes the most sense when we go back to that sort of soldier um, picture of, of being a disciple. Um, I watched a, a kind of an HBO sort of miniseries uh, years ago called Band of Brothers. Um, that was looking at the guys who parachuted in on D-Day. And I was really struck. There was this one little interview with one of the actual guys who had parachuted in. And he was he was from a really small town. And he said that when, um, he said there were three men from his small town who were medically um, unfit to go to war. And that these three men went and, and they, they took their lives. They committed suicide because they weren't able to go and fight. And he just responded that that was a different time. Um, and so I just think it, it's just it's a, it's a wild thing to think about, you know, um, you know, th this kind of picture of, of Jesus telling him, hey, this this comes first. This is unquestionably this comes first. Um, he, he wanted his followers to prioritize the work of the kingdom. Um, and, and we see this kind of not just happen in this passage, we actually see it lived out. Um, you know, in Acts 8, persecution breaks out against the church, and a guy named Stephen is actually killed for being a Christian. Um, they, 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 they 
have a funeral. They lament over him. Um, but then they, they go about preaching the word, you know, they just got on with it. Um, so, um, so yeah, first things first, you have to give up, uh, your certainty of comfort. Secondly, you have to give up, you know, your priorities, you know, putting Jesus on your timeline. Um, and then the third person we see, it says yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. And then Jesus said, well, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And, and I think this one, um, Maybe we could sum it up by saying to, to follow Jesus, you have to give up your rights. Um, maybe this is, you have to, this is that like in Second Timothy, that the aim is to please the one who enlisted him. It's that part. Um, so this guy, he, he wants to follow Jesus. Uh, but again, he wants Jesus to wait on him like the last guy. He's like, hey, Jesus, you can hang out till my dad dies. Well, this guy said, hey, look, if you can wait on me. But his, his analogy, if we're honest, does not sound as like, um, it doesn't sound you know, as acceptable as my dad's about to die. I and mean, this guy didn't have a, a, a dad who's like nearly dead or already dead. Um, he just wants to go say bye to some people. Um, and so that feels a little, you know, a little less serious, but, um, but, you know, I want to, I want to say to you, it does feel a little reasonable, you know, like if, if, if Jesus showed up at your house and said, Hey, you know, come follow me. You might want to say, cool. Can I just tell a few people where I'm going? Like, I don't want him to file a missing persons, you know, like thing. I mean, is, is that too much to ask Jesus if I just maybe let a few people know that I'm going to be gone now? You know, um, I, I mean, it, it's OK. It's OK to, to sit in the tension of how heavy this feels. This is the fine print. And Jesus is the one who decided to put a magnifying glass on it. This did not have to be in the Bible, but it is. And um, Tom, uh, Mark's dad's got this little phrase where he says, you know, people are always trying to be Jesus's little helper. Um, he does not, Jesus doesn't need us being his little helper, you know, trying to make it sound less extreme. It is pretty brutal that Jesus told him, no, you can't go tell people bye. That, that's, that's harsh. Um, but again, that's what Jesus does here. And he says, look, if you're going to put your hands to this plow, you can't be looking over your shoulder. You, you can't, you can't be looking back. And, and it's kind of a, it's a picture that sort of harkens to um, an account that happened back in Genesis 19, where, um, God was destroying a city called Sodom. And, uh, he, you know, he was, he had agreed for a lot and his, his wife and their family to, to be able to leave. But Lot's wife, she looks back and she looks back and starts um, you know, pining for, you know, the, the place that she's leaving. And, and that's, you know, that, that's what's going on here. Um, um, ha, have you guys, uh, really what's going on here, I think is Jesus exposing like the evidence of a, of a divided heart. You know, this guy had a divided heart. Um, so ha, have you guys seen this meme? I don't know if we can pull this picture up. Nope. Yep. Nope. It's all right. It was a risk over Zoom doing a meme. Um, so it's the, you'll know what it is when I tell you. It's the one where like a guy's walking with this girl and this other girl walks like beside him. And, he, and it's like the picture is him turned away. Like he's turned away from the girl, girl he's with. And he's looking at this like other lady who's walking off. And the woman he's with is looking at him like in disgust, you know, like, and it's like attached to all kinds of different memes or whatever. Um, I, I think, you know, 
that that meme is that picture is so popular because I mean we all instantly identify with the fact that that's just unacceptable behavior. You know, I mean, you're you're like with this person, you're holding hands with them. You shouldn't like in that moment turn around and start checking out somebody who's walking beside you. You know, it's evidence of a divided heart. Um, and, and Jesus is exposing here this guy. His, he's got he's got a divided heart. He he's talking a good game, but actually like his, his interests are divided. Um, and and what Jesus is after is us to fully. Um, devote ourselves to him. I remember when, when Jill and I first felt like we were supposed to move from California um, and to start this church in North Carolina, um, Mark and Nass had been out here with us and it was like, if we really, really together felt, I mean, they, they felt, I think more strongly than us that it was supposed to happen, um, if I'm honest, but, you know, um, we, we all sort of came away from this trip out here thinking, man, this place there's these people need 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 a church and um and we felt this like desire to go and and yet um both of our families lived in california and they were both extremely upset about it and, and we're i mean you know mark and nas probably remember a lot of that and it was really tough on on jill and i um and, and i mean really really brutal conversations i mean parents pounding the table and shouting and all, all that and um you know, I remember even at one point, one of the parents said to me, they said, well, what if you fail? And I was like, well, that's a, that's like a 99.999% chance. And I guess if we fail, we'll come back and beg for our jobs back. Or I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know. We'll go live in the wilderness or something. Go join Mark and Nass in Australia. Um, but, um, but, you know, it really like, you know, and I think God just really helped us in that moment. I don't think we had this super spiritual, whatever. I just think God helped us to, we were just so captivated by him that we just put our hands to the plow and didn't look back and actually driving across the country to come start one Harbor. Um, the church had taken up an offering and we got 800 bucks, which is not enough. And um, so, but we were, it was, it was, there was some gas money. So we were driving and uh, we actually hit what's called black ice. It's like a little thin invisible layer of ice um, on the highway. And, um, Long story short, we like rolled over down in a ditch and landed upside down, um, totaled our car. Um, this wasn't even halfway across the country. Um, I'm like bleeding from the head and everything. And um, and and we just rented a van and put all of our stuff in that and kept going. And we got there on Friday night and started church on Sunday. I look back at it. I just think, man, how did that even happen? And I just, you know, I think God really helped us in the moment just to, to yeah, to, to put our hands to the plow and, and not look back, not look left, not look right, you know. Um, so, you know, quickly just sort of heading, heading towards the close. One, one thing I think that's worth seeing here with this list um, is that these aren't necessarily wicked things. You know, like I, like we would we would be able to understand this passage a lot better if, if the guy if one guy said, you know, Jesus, I want to follow you. But first, let me go worship Satan for a little while. And they're like, no, that's, that's not good. And then someone else said, you know, Jesus said, follow me. And he said, cool, but I got to go beat my wife one more time. We're like, nope, nope, that's not how it works. Um, th that would be easier. And I think I think that's part of the point here is that, you know, when counting the cost, it's often the good things that hold us back from the best. Thing. It's often the good things that hold us back from the best thing, um, you know, the longer I'm in ministry, the more I, I, I don't think Satan lures us away. Like I grew up 
in a kind of Christianity where we just thought like any day now, like we're all going to have pentagrams on our heads and stuff. And like everyone would have like a 666 and, you know, we, I don't know. That, that was like the kind of Christianity. It was, it was a weird time in the 80s and 90s and 2000s and whatever. But um, the more I'm in, in ministry, the longer I follow Jesus, the more I don't think that I don't think Satan's going to show up like horns and pitch fork and be like, let's go, man. I'm like, let's go. Um, I don't think he lures us away from Jesus by enticing us to worship him. I think he lures us away from Jesus by enticing us to worship anything but Jesus. We're probably not going to like head off to like a satanic ritual, but we probably are going to put a lot of things in front of Jesus that sound really good and feel really good. It's the good things that usually keep us from the best thing. It seems like that's what happened here. It's not like being comfortable is a bad thing. It's not like being there for your dad's funeral is a bad thing. It's not like saying bye to your family and friends is a bad thing. But in, in the case here, these are good things that are keeping them from the best thing, from Jesus. So probably sounds like I'm trying to talk you out of being a Christian. You're like, man, I started off being a Christian and now I'm not. So um, that backfired. Um, I am trying to like, I think the passage does want to talk us out of being a fan of Jesus. Um, and, and I think the real question is reading this, why on earth would anybody want to follow Jesus, right? Um, I mean, to be a fan of Jesus is, is, you know, a little easier. You pick a few Jesus quotes, you know, like there's some good ones, almost like, um, you know, on Spotify, you know, like old day, like I'm old enough. We had to buy tapes and CDs and there'd be like one song on the whole CD that was any good, but you had to pay for the whole thing, man. And when singles came out, it was like, finally, you know, you could just buy one song. Um, you know, I think a lot of times we, we approach following Jesus, like making a Spotify list of our favorite Jesus hit, you know? Um, and, and this, this one right here is not making it in that list, right? There's, there's not a lot of throw pillows with Luke 9, 57 through 62 on them. There's no Thomas Kincaid, you know, paintings, you know, from a Christian bookstore, you know, like with the, and this is just not one of those passages, right? It's a tough one. Um, so, so reading this, what would make anybody want to follow Jesus? Because Jesus is worth it. And Jesus doesn't hide the fine print because he knows he's worth it. That's the kind of like, if you're going to not hide fine print, you got to be really confident in what you got. And Jesus doesn't hide fine print because he knows he's worth it. He doesn't just want you to count the cost. He forces you to. He doesn't say, hey, here's some, here's some paperwork, you know, just sign here at the bottom. If, you, you know, if you've read it and understood, no, nobody does that. No, he, 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 he like shoves our face in the fine print. He goes, hey, I want you to see it. I want you to count the cost. And he does that because he's sure he'll always come out on top. Jesus says things like, I, I'm, the, I'm the pearl, I'm the treasure, I'm the way. He's not scared of the fine print because he knows that nothing else compares to him. He says things like, when you seek first the kingdom, you get, you get everything. You get everything. You get everything you've ever, like everything your heart has ever longed for. And, and again, just reading that Luke passage, it may sound like Jesus only wants stuff from us, but the reality is we get more than we could ever give. You know, Mark, Mark used to say all the time back when we were um, in California together, you know, that the privilege always outweighs the pain. The reality is you'll, you will not find what you're looking for in anyone or anything else. And actually more than that, more than that, because that makes it sound like everything else is kind of neutral. From Jesus's perspective, it's actually everything else that's crushing you. 
it, it sounds like following Jesus is what's going to be crushing, but that's the opposite of everything else is what's crushing. And listen to how Jesus says another invitation to come be his follower. He says in Matthew 11, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus sees a call away from everything else to him as a call away from like what crushes us, what destroys us. He says, I'll give you, take my yoke upon you, he adds. Learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. So yeah, the call to follow Jesus is a call to come and die, but it's also a, a simultaneously a call to come and find a kind of life you never even dreamed of. And um, I think, I think too, this is worth saying that the best apologetic for following Jesus really is his beauty and his worth. Again, he, 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 picked, he picked things to compare himself to that were beautiful. He said, I'm like a pearl of great price. I'm, I'm like a treasure hidden in a field. I'm like, I'm like the way that like you find when you're, when you're lost and you, you don't think you're going to survive. Like, I, I'm like that path you find that, that, that leads you to life. Those are all things that are beautiful. And the Bible's full of beauty. We, we often get more fixated on, on the rules than the beauty, um, but we need both. And, and the reality is the Bible starts in a garden and ends with a wedding. It's, it's, there's this powerful apologetic um, of, of beauty. And, you know, the best reason to leave everything and follow Jesus isn't, you know, I grew up thinking, well, that's just so I won't have to go to hell, which is a great reason. But another reason is because if you don't, you won't get to be with Jesus. It's not just that you, you know, like I just grew up thinking, I don't want to go to hell, but actually like, that's not really what it, that's not really what it's all about. It's about, it's not just about not when you go to hell. It's about, man, I, I want to be with him. He's everything our hearts have ever longed for. Augustine said it like this. He has made us for himself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. So if you've done the math and Jesus doesn't seem worth it, you got to go check those numbers. You know, my, my kids are in school right now and they're doing math and that's what their mom helps them with because I'm not what you call book smart and um, she's really smart and you know, oftentimes they're convinced they've got the, the numbers, you know, right, or the, 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 you know, the test was wrong or something. And it's always their math, obviously, you know, and I think if you and I have done the math and it feels like Jesus isn't worth it, man, our, our numbers are wrong because Jesus is worth it. you got to go back and check those numbers. Um, and the last thing I'll say is kind of when you're considering the cost of following Jesus, um, again, this, this passage here is in particular is all about, you know, what we're meant to do to, to follow him. Um, a guy gets told, to, you know, you know, it's going to be uncomfortable. Another guy gets told to let the dead bury their dead. Another guy gets told, you know, he's got to leave his family without saying bye. It sounds brutal unless you know what Jesus has done for us. And um, and so, yeah, that's that's the last thing is, is kind of in light of all this is to remember that Jesus actually, we're supposed to count the cost, but Jesus is the one that paid the ultimate cost. Um, it's not right to read this passage and think, okay, so here's what I should do for Jesus. Yeah. But in the background, the first thing is to always think, what has Jesus done for me? It's never first, what can I do for Jesus? It's first, what has he done for me? And um, I'm sure Mark has talked to this, you know, about with this with you guys. But the things that we do for Jesus only make sense because of what he's done for us. Um, you know, these three individuals, just it's just interesting, the irony here. He said some pretty hard things. Um, 
to them. But the irony is that Jesus had, had you know, was going to go further than, than, than all of them. He'd already left everything to, to be with them. He had left the comforts of heaven, the riches of heaven. Um, he'd been born in poverty and shame. Uh, his life was one was one so full of of pain that they liked. His nickname was the man of sorrows. So yeah, he told this guy I was going to be uncomfortable, but he was the man of sorrows. He told that guy he's like, let you know, leave the dead to bury their dead. And, and this was this is the the perfect son who left the perfect father. Who who who? The irony, you know, was that no amount of suffering that these guys would ever face would compare to the cross. So who would follow Jesus? Why on earth will we follow Jesus? Because he's worth it. Because nothing else matters compared to him. Nothing else comes close. And he's done for us more than we could ever imagine. Um, again, we don't know how they responded. And it's not really the point. Uh, maybe we'll find out in heaven. I don't know if that's really how it works. There's like a highlight reel or whatever. But um, I do know what matters is how we respond to this passage. Um, and so, again, I'm super thankful I got to, to talk to you guys, you know, this morning, but just for you, I mean, maybe you're watching, you're watching and you're just, gosh, like I thought I was a follower. Maybe I am a fan, you know, um, and, and maybe you feeling this morning, like, gosh, I, I'm, I'm feeling maybe, maybe I'm feeling pulled in the direction to, to move from fan to follower. Um, that's, that's incredible. And that would be something that Mark and the team would love to talk with you about and pray with you about. Um, maybe you're, you're a follower of Jesus, but you kind of, I mean, I, I do it guys. I do it too. I, you cannot read this passage and not have like some ugh, moments, you know, um, just realizing, man, I'm a follower, but I've got some fan tendencies here. Um, I've got some tendencies here. I, I, maybe I, maybe you've drifted. I, I, I've done this. You've drifted into some entitlement, you know, some, okay, Jesus, I'll, I'll do this as long as, you know, there's some comfort. You know, I, I deserve it. I've earned it. You know, it's, you know, I, I mean, you know, I, I've even seen how that's happened in my own heart. Just being candid with you. You know, I, I started, we started this church. We didn't have a dime. We had nothing. Um, we literally had to move into someone else's home. So we didn't have a home. We didn't have a job. We didn't have any money. We had nothing. And, um, and now it's a lot different, you know? Um, and I have seen how, how quickly entitlement can creep in and that like, you know, I keep fighting for that old, the old version of me. Like I, I like, I like the faith I had back then better, you know? And, and, um, so maybe you're like me, you're a follower who, when you read this, you go, man, I've got some fan tendencies here. Um, the purpose is never to guilt you into doing something different. Guilt is a great, it's a powerful motivator, but it's a really terrible motivator. Um, it motivates all the wrong things. And so grace is the better motivator. The gospel is a better motivator. And so, um, my prayer for you this morning, if that's you, if you got some of those fan tendencies, is to, is to see Jesus again. That's really worth it. You know, when um, when when the disciples were faced with this question, like, do you want to leave? Do you want to go away like everyone else? Um, Peter piped up and said, well, where else will we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. You're the son of the living God. Um, he saw the beauty of Jesus. And um, and that would be my hope for you is that you'd see the beauty of Jesus. And I, I, I I really hope that um, this and, and things like this keep getting deeper and deeper in you um, because you do have a mission all around you. You live in a place, I've talked to Mark and asked enough to know that your place is kind of like my place in that it's really beautiful, but it's also really broken. And um, 
and the reality is that the people in my town and your town don't need us just to play church and be fans of Jesus. They need us to be followers of Jesus, um, soldiers who are on a mission um, to hold out the goodness and beauty of Jesus uh, to broken people all around us. So, um, yeah, love you guys. Let me pray for you.